Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Every now and then, something comes along that's just a game changer. A game changer, you know what I mean? Like, like, here's an example of what I mean by a game changer. When I was a kid, I remember there was a ritual that we would go through like every weekend. In fact, it lasted well into my adulthood. And, and it was like we would, with my family or with my closest friends or with my wife, we would go to a very special and magical place, the video rental store. Do you remember those places? Man, we had a bunch of them in my hometown, a blockbuster at a place called The Video, real original name. We had a Hollywood Video. We had a place called Fitness News and Video. And this was great because not only could you rent a video or a video game, but you could also schedule some time in the tanning bed. So, you know, they did a little bit of everything. And so that was great. And so the video rental store was kind of a, it was a cultural staple for a long time. I mean, it was, it was the way we did entertainment and it was not about the movies, and now, you'll, you'll believe me and you'll agree with me as you remember this. I couldn't tell you a single movie that I watched from going to a blockbuster, but I can remember countless times just doing the ritual of wandering up and down the aisles. <laughs> you remember that? And there was like a ritual to it. Like you'd have to pick up a DVD, show it to the person you're with, and y'all both go, I've seen him make some good things. You put it down. You go get a different one. You get a. Did I say DVD? They were VHSs, I believe. Yeah, hey, I don't know DVDs at Blockbuster. And so, like, you're checking it out, and you're going. That it was. It was a ritual to it. It was a hunt. Like you're the you're the hunter, and there's like the perfect prey of a video out there, and I'm gonna get it. There was also like a bit of pressure to it. I was like, man, we gotta get this right. We get we get one shot at this. And then we might ruin the weekend. And so it was like a ritual. Then something came along, come along that was a, it was a game changer. The internet. And I'm not going to overplay this, overstate it. Like, you know what the internet has done to video. Man, it's like, video store, who needs that? Like now, so there was this one player that came along. And his name was Netflix. Do you remember the original Netflix? You'd go online, be like, I want to watch this movie. Click, click, click. And they would send it to your house. A DVD in the mail. And no longer are you going to the video store. The video store is coming to me. That's right. It shifts entertainment. And of course comes a streaming video. Game changer. So a game changer is when something comes along that just fundamentally changes how a certain realm works. And the video watching, movie watching world was changed by the internet, by Netflix. There's another one. This is a more important one. This is more culturally significant. Okay, this is how it goes. The story goes something like this. There's a group of U.S. military wives. And they were down in Mexico, in a city in Mexico. And they go into a restaurant down there. It was a Mexican restaurant because they were in Mexico. And so they go into a restaurant. Down there, they just call it a restaurant. A restaurante. And so they're in there and they, they go in, but they're about to close. The, the restaurant's about to close. And the, the you know, proprietor or whatever, uh, who didn't want to lose any business, his name was Ignacio Anaya. Okay, Ignacio Anaya. And this guy didn't want to lose any business. So he thinks fast. He says, ladies, sit down. Uh, I'll get something for you. So he goes to the kitchen. He throws some tortillas in a deep fryer. And he pulls them out and he puts some like cheese on them and some jalapenos and some other vegetables. And he brings them out and he names his dish after himself. This is the Ignacio. Ladies and gentlemen, the birth of the nachos. God bless that man. And he comes along, 
game changer at our house. Like when we don't know what else to eat, nachos? Yeah, nachos sounds great. And what that means is go in the fridge, get some kind of meat thing, some kind of vegetable thing. We put it all on top of the nachos and it's fantastic. Game changers. A game changer uh, is when something comes along and fundamentally changes a realm. Tiger Woods was a game changer for the golf world. The smartphone Game changer for communication, mobile communication. Of course, then you get you like pocket-sized computers and the things that we do with apps right now. Game changer. So today, we're in week three of a series we're calling Hands and Feet, when we are the body. And it was born directly out of Hurricane Florence. There was something else planned, and we said, man, we, can, we need to respond to what's happening in our city right now. And so we, we took the direction of this Hands and Feet series. And the whole idea is this, that when people are hurting... When people are in pain, when they're broken, like the first half of the, the cardboard testimony videos that you saw, the church must step up and make a difference. And the concept of game changer just, just hits you square in the eyes. Because the life lived before Jesus and the life lived after Jesus is night and day. I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you're just, you didn't, you don't know why you're here, maybe you just showed up, maybe you're kind of curious about church and God, maybe you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a Christian, or maybe you would, but it's not like a real big part of your life. I'm glad you're here, because what I want to show you through looking at the Bible this morning is the game-changing element that not only Jesus does in our lives, but that we can do in the world around us when we become the hands and the feet of God in this world, game-changer. And I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag here this morning. This is the key. This is the, the fundamental key to how to make the game-changing thing happening in our world. To be a game-changer, we've got to serve like Jesus. That's it. That's, that's worth the price of admission. You can go home now. That's it. You got to serve like Jesus. But I want to unpack that some. I want to look at what that looks like in real life and through the eyes of some guys who had a hard time understanding what exactly that meant. Uh, every week we look to the Bible for God's most important truth. So if you got a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, you can open it up on an app, look it up online. We've also got some free Bibles we give away in the lobby. We definitely don't want anyone to go without a good readable version of the Bible. So grab one before you leave. It'll also be on the screen behind me here. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. And Matthew is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. It's found in the New Testament of the Bible. That last third of the Bible is about Jesus and the church. And uh, so we're going to be in Matthew, chapter 20. And we're going to, we're going to talk about some guys that maybe you've heard about before, uh, the 12 disciples. I want to kind of give you a, a snapshot of who these guys are because this, these guys, are, they're, they're fantastic to me. The 12 disciples. These are 12 random dudes. That This guy, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who came to the world, to, to show people the path back to God, he comes across these 12 random dudes that he saw potential in. And right in the middle of their life, while they were working, while they were having family, while they were doing the stuff like me and you are doing every day, he steps into their life and says, hey, will you join me on a mission? Let me tell you about these guys, though. They weren't perfect. They were far from perfect. Every single one of them have like glaring flaws. And the ones who have big cameo moments in the Bible, you can see their flaws. In fact, the reason many times they show up in the Bible is because of their flaws. The guys who don't have stories about in the Bible, like they probably didn't make a lot of mess, <laughs> like a lot of noise. It's the guys who had the biggest flaws. But what's crazy is through those flaws, they were still willing, after they saw the power, the authority, the, will, the, the ability of Jesus, they said, okay, I'm gonna drop everything. I'm gonna follow him. I'm, I'm going to dedicate my life. When they saw his miracles and they heard his claims, they said, man, this guy seems legit. I'm going to follow this guy. And even in their brokenness, in their screwed up nature, in their imperfection, this is, this is what's amazing. 
God used them as game changers to change the world. We would not be here today if it hadn't been for the faithfulness of these 12 guys continuing to do what God empowered them to do. There are hundreds of churches around our city right now because of the faithfulness of these guys around the world. Lives are being changed. And then the videos we just watched of individual lives being completely, dramatically rerouted because of Jesus. And why? Because God can use imperfect people to do amazing things. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Um, the basic, uh, the basic like background to this passage is that Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and he's about to go to this this phase of his ministry where he's going to give his life. He's going to sacrifice himself uh, as a ransom for for the sin of all mankind. And he's actually just in the previous passage predicted his own death for the third time and his resurrection, which is pretty incredible, incredible because it's going to happen. This is pretty amazing. So that's kind of the the you know the, where we are in the story. And when we pick up in Matthew twenty verse twenty, let's just jump in. Something kind of weird happens. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. That is, thank you, Matthew, for the weirdest written sentence in the world. This is what it means. This is a funny way of saying James and John's mom came to ask Jesus a question. Okay, so James and John are two of the leading disciples, and their mom is tagging along today. All right. And kneeling down, asked a favor of him, of Jesus. What is it that you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. (laughs) It doesn't say that, that little chuckle I had, but that's what I imagine Jesus did. (laughs) You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? He doesn't ask the mom. He asked James and John. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. All right, so the mom of James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, steps in with her sons. Don't you love when mamas do this kind of stuff? That's my baby. Woo, you ever been to one of those graduations? Sit down. It is not your graduation. There's a lot of other people trying to graduate here. That's my baby. I love when moms do this kind of stuff. My son plays Pop Warner football. Uh, it's tackle football. And then there's a lot of opinions about whether or not kids should play tackle football. I'm glad you have your opinions. Don't tell them to me. I've, got, I've figured it out, all right? But we, my son's playing tackle football. And it's so funny watching some, some of the moms. Yesterday, this one kid got hit, smashed. And his mama said, oh, no, he didn't. And she stood up, and she begins to walk to the sideline, and she's yelling at the referee, you need to get them. You need. I'm like, ma'am, you signed your son up for this. You paid money for this. Mamas are funny. They're like, that's my baby. And so James and John's mom comes to Jesus. Moms can be embarrassing. And it's funny. This is Jesus, okay? This is like one of their best friends. Also, their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And she's like, <clears throat> um, you got a special place for my babies? I guess how I picture. Now, what's funny is I don't know that it was all her because James and John seemed to be in on it. I don't know that they were very embarrassed at all. They might have been like, hey, mama, listen. Look, he, he ain't listening to us. I was wondering if maybe you could put in a word for us. Mamas can be convincing, And so uh, here's the thing. Jesus had been talking about this kingdom, 
I mean, his very first messages were about a kingdom. He would tell people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of his lessons were about, listen, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. So he's talking about this kingdom, this kingdom, this kingdom, this kingdom. And people who had heard him speak, they really believed he could be a king. In fact, multiple times they tried to make him their king. They wanted to set up a new kingdom. And so she, she's hearing about this kingdom. They're hearing about this kingdom. They're like, listen, kingdoms, I mean, in kingdoms, you got to have like people like helping to run stuff. Why not my boys? And it's not a completely crazy uh, request because, you know, these two guys, James and John, they were two of the leading disciples. Uh, there is a group known as the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And these are considered Jesus's closest uh, comrades and they're the ones who end up basically leading the early church. And so it's not far-fetched to think that these two guys should have a fairly prominent place in this kingdom that Jesus is, is talking about building. And Jesus, uh, Jesus looks at them and says, okay, all right, you want this? This is what you want? Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And this is kind of a veiled metaphor. I'm not I'm not sure that James and John even fully understood what he was asking. Uh, you know, it's kind of like with my kids, like, hey, we're going to go, uh, you know, to the park later. We're going to go to islands later, eat some food. We're going to do this later. Uh, if, you, if you clean your room. Yeah, we cleaned our room. Yeah. No, no, no. Think about it. Like, did you actually clean your room? So I wonder if they're just like, yeah, we can drink from the cup. Uh, it's kind of a veiled metaphor for maybe, uh, you know, handling the, the, um, the struggle that was about to come, the suffering that was going to come. Jesus is about to take on a large amount of suffering. He says, listen, can you handle what's going to come from being a leader in my kingdom? Because it's not going to be easy. They say, yeah, we can handle it. And then Jesus says, yeah, well, you will. You will handle it. And what's crazy is every one of the disciples, except for Judas, who ends up betraying Jesus, they all end up dealing with the suffering. In fact, every one of them ends up giving their life as a martyr of one kind or another for this kingdom. But in this moment, they don't fully understand what they're saying. They don't fully understand the kingdom. From the start, Jesus had talked about this kingdom he was going to build. But the thing about it is the people were hearing about the kingdom. He was saying one thing and they were hearing something else. See, for generations, the Jewish people had the concept that a Messiah, a Savior, was going to come. But in their minds, it meant that there was going to be some sort of liberator who was going to come, a military leader, a king, a general, someone who would come fight and bring them some freedom. Uh, at this time in history, the Jewish people were oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so they're thinking, man, if this guy really is the Messiah, and he really does become a king, he can help us kick the Romans out. He could help us gain our independence, our freedom again. But that's not what Jesus meant at all. That's never even what he said. In fact, when they tried to make him king, he was like, no, <laughs> I'm not here to do that. The son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. So there's a conflict between what they think the kingdom is and what Jesus said it was. Look, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is it's not about ethnicity, it's not about national borders. It's not about currency. It's not about politics. The kingdom of God is about people united under the lordship of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is. Lordship, you think about medieval times and castles and knights and stuff. The lord of a manor is like the, he's the boss. And so it even borrows some of that same language. 
The kingdom of God is about people being united under the rulership, the leadership, the lordship, the kingship of this guy, Jesus, and in doing so, learning to live like him and love like him and give glory to God with their life. That's what the kingdom of God is. It has nothing to do with wars, has nothing to do with uh, national boundaries, has nothing to do with ethnicity, has nothing to do with uh, a national budget. It has everything to do with the king. And as Jesus hits the scene, he says this, the kingdom of God is here. My friend Aaron Cross has this analogy that I really like. He said, the kingdom of God is here. It's kind of like being at a Christmas parade. So you go to the Christmas parade, you're standing on the side of the road, the Christmas parade is passing by. The parade is here, but everybody's waiting for a big fat Santa Claus at the end. Like that's what everybody's here for. But the parade is here, and the reality of the kingdom of God is it is here. It's active. It's happening right now. Church, right now, we are the kingdom of God. We are united under the rulership of Jesus. It is here, but there is a big, fat surprise at the end. When heaven comes down, when Jesus returns to collect his faithful followers, and when we get to see his glory in all of eternity, that is the big you know, the big part of the kingdom, but we're living in it now. And so as Jesus says, look, the kingdom is here. And these two guys, can we be, you know, your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom of God? Jesus is like, man, you still don't get it. You don't get what I'm here to do. We are the kingdom of God. And so church today, as we're moving forward and doing our church thing, and we're working into our sixth year as a church, and we talk about being the hands and the feet of Jesus, what we are doing is we're being ambassadors, emissaries, activists and workers for this kingdom and helping bring other people in. It's an open kingdom to unite people underneath that lordship of Jesus. It's a really beautiful thing and it's what God has for us. Now, he says this thing. She says, can we, can we have the right and left seat? Can, can my boys do that? And Jesus says this thing that honestly is pretty theologically confusing to me. It's a little bit deep. Uh, it's deeper than we're gonna go today, but I wanna touch on it because I don't wanna shy away from it. He says this thing. It's... it's uh, it's for the father to decide. That's what he says. I can't tell you that. It's for the father to decide. And the reason it's theologically confusing is because, wait, I thought Jesus was God in the flesh. So what do you mean? You don't know? You don't know whether or not, you don't know what God's thinking? That's a deep conversation. And I'll be really honest with you. Uh, I think that it's, it's as much as Jesus is God, there are many times, for example, in Philippians chapter two, it says that Jesus, though being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing. One translation says he emptied himself. So there are many times in Jesus' life, though he's fully God, he chooses to be human. For example, he let his body die. For example, he would get hungry from time to time, like probably three times a day, around 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m., right? He would sleep. And so there are moments where Jesus, in all of his divinity, stepped back and said, right now I'm just going to... I'm going to forego that part of who I am. But an easier way to read it, and the way I kind of read it, is, is Jesus looking at her going, uh, ma'am, this doesn't concern you. <laughs> That's kind of the way, it's a shortcut to say, look, uh, look, you, you want to talk about who's leading the kingdom of God? This really isn't for you to decide, but we really, we appreciate your time and please fill out the survey at the end. Like that's, that's kind of where I read Jesus saying this, but that's just me. All right, so back to the story. We get to verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Indignant's a, a polite word. I've got other words I could fill in the blank for you later. Um, but uh, I'm going to use the word mad, okay? They were mad. They were upset. The other 10, so the two had gone up, they had talked to Jesus, and the other 10, 
I imagine this kind of, you know, being a little bit farther behind. They're walking in a lane or something. And they're like, wait, you did what? You asked him what? And I think they might have been upset for one of two reasons. The one reason might be like the audacity of these two to ask Jesus if they could have the right and left hands in the kingdom. The audacity. Like, I think that that is a very legitimate reason to be upset. Who do you think you are? We're all here. We've all been here since the beginning. Who do you think you are? Or what I think to be a more likely scenario is they heard about the two asking for power and they thought, oh man, shoot, why didn't I think to do that? I should have called my mama. (laughs) Got her to come talk to you because we actually know if you look back at chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, all of them had just been discussing it. We're not going to look at it on the screen, but flip back there sometime this week or even right now is fine. Look at it. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse one, all the disciples were kind of arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they all wanted to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, and before we get kind of indignant with all of them, I think maybe we could all step back and be honest and say, I think we all probably have that tendency. We all want to be the greatest. And maybe you've never approached Jesus and said, hey, can I be your right-hand man? But how often have you prayed and thought, Lord, I need this. I need this now. And then it didn't happen. And you're like, come on, God. Why don't you take care of me right now? I need, we all want to be first. We all want to have the best, the greatest. We want to be taken care of. And there's really nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus instructs us, ask whatever you want from me. He asks us to do that. He tells us to seek him and ask him questions. He wants us to pray. But it's the, it's the, uh, the mentality, it's that attitude. Like, I, I'm most important. So often we are the ones that people should be indignant with because we try to take first place in the kingdom. And Jesus wants to say, listen, this is not how my kingdom works. And he teaches them. Verse 25, he called them together. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Uh, these guys, they were familiar with government. They understood uh, not only the Roman leaderships, it's the rulers of the Gentiles, he's talking about the Roman Empire, but also the Jewish leaders, they had the same thing that every other country has, which is pig-headed leadership. Like that's, we, all, we all have that. And it's this thing of like, the, the rulers are very, uh, they're, they're tyrannical and they're overusing and abusing their power and they're kind of putting people down. As long as you're under me, I'm happy. And so that was really the case in the place where these guys are living. So they totally understood that. Jesus says, look, you, you know how things are. You know how things are. You know how when it comes to authority, the people who are in authority, they lord it over those who are under them. But then in verse 26, he's, towards 26, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be made your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Son of Man is a nickname for the Messiah or Jesus. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I started out with this and I want to reiterate it. The path to greatness is serving like Jesus. In the kingdom of God, there's only one way to leadership, (laughs) to guiding other people. And that is not by having a prominent position, but by leading through service. It's why Mother Teresa had the ear of presidents and world leaders. Not because she was rich and famous and had all these great credentials and could lord it over people, but because she just served. 
She took the last, uh, the last bit of food, the, 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 the last pieces of clothing from the donated clothes pile. She hung out with lepers. This is the attitude that someone in the kingdom of God has. And then just by virtue of who she is, people look up to her. And she's elevated. It's why many of the prominent civil rights leaders in the 60s uh, gained so much attention, not because they were running their mouths and shooting guns, but because they talked about peaceful protests and love and how we need to rise above our circumstances in other areas. Because they became servants first and they, they put themselves on the front line and they decided to do it that way. It's why the people who made the biggest difference in your life were not politicians but an underpaid elementary school teacher or a volunteer sports coach or a mentor who wasn't paid or a grandma who just selflessly served you and helped you with your homework and took you where you needed to be. Because the path to greatness in the kingdom of God is serving like Jesus, game changer. It changes the whole worldview. Um, this principle of servant leadership, it's not like Christianity doesn't hold the corner on that. Like we don't just, it's true everywhere. You look around and you see great leaders and odds are they are servant leaders. So it, Christians aren't the only ones doing it. But let me tell you this, it is the only way to greatness in the kingdom of God. And that's why we see Christian leaders who have risen to power through some unethical way, they eventually get toppled over. It's not the way Jesus built his kingdom. It's not how the church works. It's not how he's going to continue it. The path to greatness is serving like Jesus. And it's a game changer. And so like James and John and their mom in this story, I think that a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to be successful. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to climb the ladder. Think about the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life. It began, so many of us, in school when some guidance counselor said, listen, you need a thicker resume. If you want to make it, you're definitely going to have to work harder. You're not very impressive on paper. <laughs> and uh, was that just me? Um, and like, so people, you know, and that's what we're taught all throughout our life. And you work and you get harder and, and, you, and, and you, it's about success, 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 success. And here's the thing, that's hard because there's always somebody better than you, except for LeBron James. And John Mayer, there's like four people in the world who there's nobody better than. But there's just like, there's a few people, and even them, even the people who, who are really good, they have made it to the top of their field, quote after quote after quote after quote that you could find online of these successful people who just say, it doesn't fill me up. It's not enough. I'm not enough. There are things I can't handle. There are things I can't take care of. I can't stop hurricanes. I can't cure cancer. It's not enough. Significance is not God's plan. So at some point in our life, sorry, success is not God's plan. Success is not God's plan. But at some point in our life, we have to make a shift. There's a shift, success versus significance. And here's the thing I want to kind of wordplay into your minds today. and something that maybe we can work for as we work to be the hands and feet, being the body of Jesus in our city, is stop fighting for success. It's, it's, it's a dead end road. But instead, care more about significance. Many times you'll meet people that are in their retirement years and they've quit trying to be successful. They made it as far as they could and then they're getting paid now what they could get paid because they made it that far. That's what retirement is. <laughs> but then they begin asking a really important question that I hope we start asking much younger. Does my life matter? Did I make a difference? 
That's what significance is. I, I've presided over, you know, I don't know, a couple dozen funerals. I've been to lots of funerals. We don't stand at a graveside and talk about how successful a person was. We stand at a graveside and we talk about the difference they made in people's lives. The people that loved them and cared about them. The significance that they left behind. Did their life matter on that level? When Jesus invites us into his kingdom, he's not inviting us to a life of success. Will he bless you? Absolutely. But not on the world's scale of importance and success. On his kingdom's scale of importance and success. He didn't invite us to a life of success, but he does invite us into a life of significance. Making a difference. Mattering to this world. Game changer. It's a lot less stressful to live that way. (laughs) You start to realize I can be good enough. I can be smart enough and doggone it, people can like me. You know? And when we get to this place where we can shift from seeking success to seeking significance, we can understand what it means to try to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus never did anything that, never expects us to do anything that he didn't do himself first. How did he serve? He gave his life as the ransom, the payment for many, for all who would come to him. Every one of us who has you know, betrayed God because of our sin, he stepped in and said, I'll pay that price. I'll pay it paid in full with my life. What would it look like if every person in Wilmington who claimed to be in the kingdom of God and have Jesus as their king? What, if, what would it look like if every one of them understood the game-changing impact of giving their life to serving others? What would it look like? Every single mom would have a free babysitter while she takes night classes and gets caught up from whatever it was that put her where she was. Every latchkey kid would have a mentor to hang out with after school. Every nursing home resident would have regular visitors. Every widow would have clean gutters. Every recovering alcoholic would have a ride to work until they got themselves straight. Every yard of every shut-in would be cut and edged regularly, and they wouldn't have to pay somebody to do it. Every nursery shift at every church would be covered every Sunday. It'd be fantastic. Every dying person would have a loving person standing by their bed in their last days. Every orphan would have a mommy and a daddy. Every lonely person would eat with someone else at least once a week. And every person who is currently living outside the kingdom of God would have a friend who knows Jesus and is doing their best to share with them what it could look like if they joined the kingdom too. What would it look like if every believer in Jesus understood the significance they could make by being a game changer, by living in the kingdom the way that Jesus modeled? This past week, I was up in Bergal, and uh, hopefully you've heard by now that our church has co-founded an organization called DART ILM, Disaster, Disaster Assistance Relief Teams of Wilmington, dartilm.org. You can learn more about it. And uh, our purpose is to mobilize volunteer teams to go and serve in areas that still need to be served. And around the nation, uh, we've left the news cycle. I don't know if you heard there was another hurricane. Uh, and so like we've left the news cycle, but one of our objectives is to continue putting out the call to churches and organizations and getting them to send, send teams in because us locally, we're beat. 
We're tired. And people don't realize that in areas like Pender County and Bergal, they're still not back in school yet. There are communities that still don't have power and water. Uh, I was at a place on Friday uh, in White Stocking. I talked about White Stocking last week. White Stocking in Bergal, where the water was over people's houses, completely over people's houses. And I was walking through uh, one of the houses, and, and, and I met up with Johnny. Johnny lives right at the epicenter of the deepest water. I think it was over 15 or 20 feet deep, right in his yard. And uh, I walked through his house that has now been completely gutted, saw nothing but studs and rafters and, and subfloor. And it was really cool because I could see that the house had been there for generations. You could see the new construction. And like, this is like the, the new wing they had built at some point. And then if you look back into the house, it's like really old wood. There was wood that looked like it had been repurposed because it was like painted and had stuff written on it. Like, man, I wonder how long this house has been here. And I walk to the back and I find Johnny and he's back there with a friend and they're just sitting in the shade. Johnny's an older man now. And I just got to talk to him. And, and I asked him, how, how are things going? You know, how are things going here in White Stocking? He said, man, it's hard. You know, we've lost everything. They lost everything in 99 when Fran came through. <laughs> They're doing it again. Across the street from his house is uh, Sandy Hills uh, AME Church, right across the street. And it was the heartbeat of that little community. Still is. The church is. The building is a mess. And uh, from that spot, they've been, you know, handing out supplies and everything. And I just... I just got to sit down with, with Johnny and, and talk for a while uh, with my friends, uh, Donnie and Kevin, who came down from, uh, from Raleigh, and we, just sit, and we prayed with them. Johnny's a Christian. He knows Jesus, and, and he said, you know what? We're in a bad situation, but I know we're going to be okay because God's people are here. I said, Johnny, I'm glad, I'm glad that you feel that way. I, I, I actually wanted to make sure you knew that through... Uh, Dart ILM and a lot of other church organizations. I was in a group text with a bunch of other leaders, and it was so cool. So many people have focused their eyes on this intersection that two weeks ago was forgotten. Nobody knew what was happening. And I said, listen, I, I want to tell you, I want to give you a little bit of hope. There's over 100 volunteers coming to your neighborhood tomorrow morning. <laughs> They're going to clean out the church building that hadn't been hardly touched yet because everyone's working on their houses. And they're here to do whatever else they can. Here's the thing. He was excited. He said, I knew God would show up. But here's the thing, I don't know that our groups can like rebuild all their houses, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of skill. But I do know just showing up brings hope. And knowing that they haven't been forgotten, and knowing that the people of God are mobile and coming to the rescue, whether it's gutting a house or building a shed, as we've been doing through our partner Ides this last week. We built three sheds for three families. Um, we went to Jill's house and did a shed at their house. And she said, I never thought a pile of wood would make me cry. <laughs> but it doesn't bring like closure and fixture to everything, but it brings hope. It's something new. It's something different. It's something that says it's not going to be like this forever. We're, when we're the hands and we're the feet of Jesus, it's a game changer for this world. Because living in the kingdom of God is about putting others first and following the footsteps of Jesus and serving. This week, I just want you to set, settle that in your brain. How are you serving like Jesus? And maybe if you're here today and you, you haven't made a decision to live for Jesus, like you're like, oh man, it's coming on kind of heavy. I came because I heard it was chilly day. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, but I want you to know this is what the church is about. This is what we, we got to be about. 
I would love to have you join us in the effort. The world's a better place. Game changer. Let's be the hands and the feet of Jesus living as the body. Let me pray for us today. God, we love you. Uh, you are truly good. And, uh, you know, as I, as I drive through these destroyed streets, um, I just keep feeling like, man, we're inadequate to provide. But then I remember that you are adequate. You are more than adequate. Uh, Aaron said earlier, your grace is sufficient. And you will always take care of us. And so I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for uh, the chance to get to gather here together today. And I pray that, um, you know, you can be a game changer in each of our lives each day as we each have to, to come to terms with who we are and who we can be in you. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.